of sacrifice that I would make right now for a creamy packet of Dunkaroos you couldn't even fathom. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. We have a wonderful guest today. I mean, we got really deep into it. Um, it's about addiction and gambling and drugs, lies, money, you name it. We've been there. But it's it's our experiences, and methodically we're able to to tell a story, basically, of what we've been through. Because I've been addicted to opioids, and my guest Patrick Chester spent 15 years as a raging gambling addict, lost millions, and nearly destroyed his family. He resorted to criminal acts to feed his addiction, which ultimately ended him in jail. He's seven years free from that monster, and he has a new purpose in life. He spent many years taking from people to feed his addiction, but now he's able to give back. Please welcome to the podcast, Mr. Patrick Chester. Patrick Chester, thanks for coming on the podcast. Jay, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Um, and hopefully what you know what should be a, a, an informative and, and good chat between the two of us. Yeah, we uh we seem similar. The little conversation that we had briefly before I pushed record, it sounded real good. So I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, mental health is at the top of my list. It's it's literally my number one. It's superior to anything else in my life. I, I just wanted to know if if you kind of feel the same way. I do. I, I in fact, I I feel like it. You know, mental health is is something that we should be focusing on in our schools with our, wow. with our kids. Um, we should be focusing on that as parents of kids starting at young ages. And, you know, we've come a long way in society from the time I was, you know, from when I was a kid. Where when we were you born? About, if you don't mind me asking so we can get kind of. Yeah, a, I was born in 1972. I just turned 51 okay. years old. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I, as a kid growing up, like most kids my age, we didn't talk about anything as it related to mental health or addiction or anything like that. It just wasn't something that we, we talked about. And so, you know, uh, th just through my life and through my um, trials and, and, and story, I've, I've mm -hmm. come to realize that if, if you're not, if your head isn't right, if you're, if you're not in a good place mentally, you know, you're, you're going to struggle. And so we all go through issues and it's just, it's how we deal with it. So I, I think it's a huge, a huge thing. Yeah, I agree with you. So do you have kids? I do. I have two boys. I have a, I have a um, 13 year old, soon to be 14 year old son. Nice. And then we also have a five year old son who came along a little later in the game. You know, I was <laughs> 45 when we had him, but you know, it keeps me you young, had so. ace up your sleeve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. So, um, so yeah, two boys, which I love, you know, it keeps me, 
keeps me young, keeps me active. Yeah, I have a five-year-old as well. He's about to turn six this month, actually. Nice. It's really fun, man. Yeah, it does keep you young. I mean, I, perspective, I'm I'm young. I'm 34, about to be 35, sure. I suppose. But yeah, he he keeps me young, man. It's 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 so strange developing a human being and. This one exercise I do, I forgot where I learned it from, but someone said, if you could write a note at your age right now to a five-year-old you, what would you say? And when I started, I started thinking about that and I got emotional over it because when you, when you handle your little kid, your five-year-old, like you want to protect him from everything and you're so patient with him. And you don't want the world to harm him. And it's like, why are you so upset with yourself? Like you got so much time. Like you're so full of life. You're so happy. Just just be you. Don't change for anyone. Be you. You're so full of life. But then it's like when I'm 34 or 35, I see a lot of people my age as well that are just so depressed and negative yeah. and, and just influenced by what they see on the internet and want to be something else and it's really sad, kind of, if you look at it from that perspective. There's other ways you can look at it, but when someone said, like, what would you tell yourself, your five-year-old self, if you were to write a note at this age, like, what what would it say? And what I would say is just take your time. Don't get upset with yourself. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, I, I can see where that could 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 make you emotional, especially with a five-year-old son. You know, you, you know, we want to, like you said, we want to protect them from everything in the world, all the evils in the world. Right. And we want to, we want to, we want to put them in a bubble, but at the same time, you know, the best thing you can do. And I was, you know, as a kid, I, I just did what I wanted to do. And, and, and you said it well, you know, a minute ago, you see so many parents and so many um, 35, 40 year old, people out there now that are just um, stressed out and angry and, and not taking the time and, and decompressing and shutting down the, the, shutting off the outside world when they come home at night so that they can spend that time with their kids and just be a parent, right. And just enjoy the fact that you have a a five-year-old son or or whatever it is, you know, and those are the moments, right. That, that, and I'm, I know this now, yeah, because of what I went through and and how I was with my first son when I was going through my addiction, and how different I am now. Like I can recognize it. Like I want those kids to just enjoy being a kid, right, and not have to worry about this, that, or the other. Yeah. So what? Okay. Well, there's a lot to unpack there because you went through an addiction with a, a kid, and I had an addiction as well, but it was. I stopped right before I had my child. So there's two different avenues we can go down. But um, I mean, how old was your son when you were going through the addiction? Right. And so I went through a, um, I battled a a 15 year gambling addiction yeah. And he was, he was born, my, my, my oldest son was born in 2009. And that was right about the time where my addiction was starting to, to progress to, to levels that I never could have imagined. Um, and so his, for the first five years of his life were during the worst years of my life. Right. And I was, 
I was unstable. I was irrational. I was unpredictable. I had become a professional liar, basically, not because I wanted to or I wanted to deceive people, but because I was trying to hide a gambling addiction. Yeah. And anybody that knows um, about gambling addiction knows that we're, we're able to hide it. You don't see it on us physically, but our behaviors are erratic, right? We're all over the map. And so that's how I was um, for the first five years of my, my oldest son's life. And, and I, I'll never shake that. I mean, I, I have vivid memories of certain situations with him where I went completely off the deep end. And, you know, whether I had people chasing me or uh, police after me or whatever it was, I was living in a constant state of paranoia and that carried over to, to um, our home and how I acted towards my son as a parent. And so, as I mentioned, you know, and now I have a, a, we have a younger son and he's five now. And so I just, I'm the complete opposite now. And it, it, it's great in a way, you know, I can be the the parent to my youngest son that I should have been to my oldest son, but it's also brings a lot of sadness, right? Because, um, for the first five years of my oldest son's life, I was a mess. And so, um, but that's what addiction does, right? It changes, it changes, um, how we act and what we do. And we, 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 we treat the most important people in our lives, like just in, in the worst ways you can imagine. And so it's so strange too, because like when you're lying to people that you supposedly love, right, you don't even think anything of it. <laughs> you know, you don't even think anything of it because you, you get into this selfish mindset or whatever it is, just something is way, I hate to use it, way more important but at that time it really is like that's all you can focus on and you'll just come up with these lies just non-stop man just to get what you need yeah and that's what you're right i mean that's what addiction does and and i loved my son and my wife more than anything during those years yeah anything but gambling for some reason i couldn't stop gambling and when it came to prioritizing um them i always chose i always chose gambling first right that's a battle you can't win you won't win that battle right no you won't and and i didn't and and it's it's i would say whatever i had to say to either get money or deflect a certain situation or uh, misdirect um I became a professional liar basically to feed my addiction. Is it almost that we become addicted to lying in a sense? I, uh, I did. Absolutely. I, me too. I did for sure. What was, what, if you don't mind my asking, yeah. what was your addiction? I was addicted to opiates. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, During that whole epidemic, I got right into the middle of it. I had broke my hands at, uh, I played hockey for college. And I broke my right hand and this was in the midst of all of that craze going on. So my doctors were, I had to get surgery on my right hand. So obviously they were happy to give me painkillers. And, you know, I just, after the, the first 30 days, cause you get 30 days doses, I was completely hooked. And I would just say my hand hurts and just, that's all it took go in there and they would refill you and you just get stuck on that. And at the time I was living with my, who is now my ex-wife. Um, but I would just continually lie. No, I'm not taking it. And then I would just 
yeah, I'm going to go play hockey tonight and I'll go to the, the pharmacy and go pick up some, you know, opioids and go use and just everything became a lie. Everything became a lie and it's just real destructive, man. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it's it, not it who becomes, I am. And yeah. No, it, it changes who you are and it becomes almost second nature. Right. I mean, um, my, I, yeah. And that's, that's, I'm glad you were able to, to, to get past that because what, you know, that, that ruins lives, that ruins fa- addiction, ruins families. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it, it, it got to a point where I, I was telling lies to cover up my gambling and, and, it got so bad that I had to remember my lies and I had to remember yeah. what I told this person or this friend, because they may talk to another friend and I told them a different lie or whatever it was. Right. And it becomes this, it, it became this, I was like the hamster in the wheel, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm spinning in circles and trying to cover my tracks at every corner. And Isn't life easier when you don't have to tell lies? Oh my! I'm. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like <laughs> there is such a weight off the shoulders, right? You can just be so truthful, and it's just like the best thing. Take it for uh, granted, right? <laughs> it is. It is the best feeling to just wake up every day and yeah. not have to worry about the 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 BS. Not have to worry about the nonsense. What lies do I have to tell today? to buy myself another day. Right. I I don't have to do that anymore. And so, I mean, we still go through struggles, you know, as a, as a family, right. Like everybody does, but it's, it's, it's totally different now where I don't have to worry about all the, all the lies. I just, transparency is an amazing thing when you've lived, you know, as an addict, like, and you know, I mean, when you've lived for, for a couple of years or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. telling lies and, and trying to cover your tracks at every corner. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great feeling to wake up and not have to do that. <laughs> yeah. So I want to touch a little bit more onto uh your gambling addiction like in detail. So what what does that entail exactly? What were you doing gambling like poker, like roulette, sports yeah, gambling? So I was a, I was a sports gambler, Jay. Okay. I was a I was a um I was a sports gambler, so I wasn't necessarily sitting in casinos, although I would sit in sports books. So I, I shouldn't say that, but I wasn't, I wasn't playing cards. I mean, it started out, you know, in high school and college, it started out as card games, poker games. Um, yeah. And they were innocent, right? I mean, I wasn't, I was, you know, we'd sit down and I'd sit down with buddies with 20 bucks in my pocket or maybe 50 bucks on a good day. And sure, you know, we'd play poker. Um, but there was something different about the way I did it um, versus like my friends, you know, if, if, if I lost my 50 bucks, I couldn't, I couldn't walk away from the table. Okay. I I had to keep going. And so what I would do is I would ask a friend, Hey, loan me 40 bucks or 50 bucks. I'll get you back. Whereas my friends, um, if they lost what they had set out to, 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 to play with that night, they would just shut it down. Um, so did you know that something was off from that behavior at a young age or no, this would have been, you know, probably in my, you know, whatever high school, college, I didn't really start to recognize there was an issue okay. until I was, um, in my mid to late twenties when I was living with roommates. And, um, at that point I had, I had progressed. I was no longer, um, playing cards really. I was, I was playing, I was betting on football games and I, but I have, I was doing it at that point through, through bookies and offshore accounts. Okay. And so I had to send money to Nevada. Um, this is before 
state-sponsored sports betting. Um, I had to send money to offshore accounts. But what was happening is I was living with roommates um, in my mid to late 20s. Rent, um, the first of the month would come up and rent was due and I didn't have the money. Um, yeah. You know, so because I had, I had, I was working, I had a job, but I was gambling my money away. And so I would always have to come up with an excuse for my roommates. Hey, I'm sorry, I don't have the money yet, but I'll get it to you in a couple of days. I'm just a little bit behind. Right. It was at that point, it was at that point I recognized, you know what? Something's not right here because you're, you're using money that um, you shouldn't be to gamble with. Right. And in the back of my mind, I knew something was, was off at that point. And so, um, but unfortunately I didn't, I didn't address it. <laughs> yeah. So when you're making these bets, would you just bet like straight up on what team to win or were you betting on everything? Like the coin flip, like who's going to have the most points at the half, who's going to have the most points in the quarter? Were you just gambling on, on like nutty things? Not really at that point. I'm just, I'm playing mostly college football games and NFL okay. games, right? And I'm, I'm betting parlays and I'm betting, I'm, I'm placing straight bets. I'm not doing any, you know, placing any exotic wagers or anything. Like I got that. some but, friends that are just betting on the dumbest things. I'm like, mm, be careful with that, man. They're like, I see something happening here. Well, and that's the thing like now and we can get into this in a bit, but I mean, it's, it's, it's totally different now. Just how much, um, how more, how much more accessible everything that's is. So and crazy bets. Yeah. You know, but when I was doing it, you know, as, as we get into, you know, we're probably around 2000. What I, here's where I always go back to 2001. Okay. I put 50, I put 50 bucks down on a, on a 14 parlay in college football. And I hit it. I hit all four games oh, and it paid man. me close to 900 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Something. And that was for me at the time, that was a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of money, you know, and I didn't have any family or responsibilities really, you know? And That's so I, I dopamine hit too huge dopamine hit and that's exactly what it was and i didn't recognize it i i felt a rush unlike oh, anything yeah, i had yeah. ever experienced and Oof. i'm like wow you know what i can actually be good at this if i do the research and i study oh and I follow yeah these teams and i'm convincing myself that i can actually make a living betting on college football and nfl games i had convinced myself of that yeah it's that falsified ego right it's right. yeah. And so, yeah. And it's, you know, I have a background in sports and I have a, you know, I'm competitive like a lot of people and that got the best of me. I'm like, I can, I can be better than the bookies. I can beat the bookies. And as I came to find out, as we get into like, you know, um, I met my wife, what would soon be my, eventually be my wife. I met her in 2004 and we would eventually get married in 2006. And when we entered into marriage in 2006, she had no idea that I was already over a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Oh boy. And, yeah. And it's, I never told her that I gambled. She had no idea that I gambled and she can't see it on me physically. Right. We don't look like an alcoholic or a drug addict because we don't have the physical effects. So we're able to hide it. And that was, um, that was basically the way I describe it. The beginning of the, of the dark days that when we got married in 2006, because that's when I began to basically live a lie, um, which I would live for nine years. That's a long nine years too, right? It's not like your average nine years. People hear nine years and just are like, okay, nine years. No, when you're going through addiction, 
nine years is it's like nine lifetimes. Yep. You, you know that, I mean, you, 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 you've, you've lived it. And so, um, what I, yes, it was, it was, um, I lived a nightmare from the time I woke up until the time I went to bed, it got worse. It progressed, you know, from 2006 to where eventually ended in 2015. Uh, it got worse, but what began to happen, I started working for myself as a contractor around 2010. Um, I was in the landscape design field. Okay. And I was working as a general contractor and people trusted me. I had a good reputation. Nobody knew that I had a gambling problem and customers, clients of mine, they started to, um, they wanted me to do their big projects and they would hand over 20, 30, $40,000 checks to me as project deposits for these big, these big landscape, um, construction projects. And behind the scenes, I'm living a secret life as a gambling addict. And so I convinced myself every time I got one of those big checks, which was, you know, quite often that, you know what, I could take half of this $30,000 check, gamble with it because I'm just going to win and I'm going to double or triple that money. And then boom, I'm flush with cash. I can pay off some debts. I can gamble with it. I can still get this job done and then get paid on the job. It's so funny where the mind goes. It's so funny how you'll just create these stories (laughs) that, that don't play out, but in your mind, like you already, you're already living it. Like, all right. Yeah. I got this 40,000. Perfect. Now I can bet half of this on Texas A&M. They're going to win. I'll get the money back. We'll do the job. And then I'm on to the next one. Piece of cake. And you'll just lie to yourself. (laughs) Piece of cake. You know, the, 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 yeah, you know it. I mean, the brain is a powerful, powerful instrument. And, you know, as addicts, we can convince ourselves and rationalize just about everything we do because yeah, the way I looked at it, I never once looked at, looked at it as if, you know what, I'm taking this guy's money because I'm going to hit the road on him. Never once did I think that way. My thinking was always, you know what, I'm just borrowing this and I'll, yeah. I'll win more and then he'll never know the difference. I'll get the job done and everybody's going to be happy. Always justified. It was always justified. And, and so this was, we talked about this a little bit earlier. This was around 2010, 2011. So my, my, my son, our firstborn son was born in 2009. And so he's growing up in this environment where again, I, and nobody knows I'm gambling, but I, my, my behaviors and my um, actions and the choices I was making were, were way out of bounds and, and, and things were not, things were not good. And so my wife is starting to recognize that something's not right. You know, the money, the finances are a mess. Um, I'm lying about everything. She doesn't know I'm lying, but she, you know, she trusted me to handle the mortgage payment, for example. And instead of making the mortgage payment, I would gamble with that money. I didn't, I went, we went eight months without me making a mortgage payment one, one year. And she didn't know because you just she kept didn't telling know her because what I'm hair. doing is, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm intercepting the mail. Um, right. Yeah. I've been there. So yeah, there, <laughs> yeah, so I've been there. <laughs> we get creative, don't we? Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't let my ex-wife see the, uh, the doctor bill there. Nope. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. I'm doing that. I'm doing that. I'm, 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 but you know, the thing, the, the, the thing with gambling addiction is 
I didn't lose every time. I would win occasionally. And when I won, like if I won a $15,000 bet or a $20,000 bet, yeah. which is what I was, which I was now betting at that point in time, um, I would dump eight or 10 grand into the bank account. And my wife would see it and like, oh, okay, maybe things are getting better now. Oh, you know, yeah. and so it's, it's that, it's that I'm losing more than I'm winning. But if I won every once in a while, I'd throw some cash in the bank and, and she'd think, okay, well, maybe things are getting better now. Yeah. Well, yeah, just the appearance of it. Right. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, and so there's, we get into, I think we're around 2012. Um, my jobs are, are not getting done on time. My clients are starting to ask questions because I always have an excuse for everything. Yeah. And before I knew it, you know, in the internet age now, they can find out just about anything they want on you. And my clients started doing some research and soon, soon enough, um, a couple of my clients connected and they said, Hey, this is what he did on our project. And like, yep, he did the same thing. He owes us 15 grand. This guy says, well, he owes me 30 grand. And now I have this web of, of, clients. Um, I think at one point it was over 15 clients that I owed thousands to each and every one of them. Um, over, it was over $200,000 in, in total. Oof, and so yeah. they, they, you know, they started to piece this thing together. They had no idea I had a gambling addiction. They just thought I was a shady contractor. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it, again, I had rationalized everything I was doing. I had convinced myself that I'm just borrowing this money, but, um, and eventually what happened was the state got involved because I was, these people reported me to the state and then the state revoked my business license. So I was no longer allowed to work as a contractor in the state of Washington. Was that your only stream of income? That was it. Yeah. And so then what, now I'm at this point, I'm, I'm close to $500,000 in debt. And oh man. This isn't just, this isn't just credit card debt where, you know, you can just write it off and, and file bankruptcy or something. This is debt to um, clients, right? This is, these are people that, that, that want their money. Um, they're not a bank. You know, they are, they are hardworking people that, that, in good faith, wrote me a check for twenty or thirty thousand dollars, and they don't have that money, and their project yeah. isn't done, so they're pissed, and they're not they're not um, they're not going to they're not going to just lie down and take it, and so um, they started coming after me, and I had one client in two thousand twelve tell me that he was going to send some people to take care of me, and I didn't know oh. what that meant, and I just I I dismissed it, you know, it's just a threat. I thought he'll never do anything, right, and so. There was one night in late 2012, and and this is a vivid memory that I'll never shake until the day I die. I'm at home with my son who had just, I think, just turned three years old at the time. It's late at night. It's like 830 at night. My wife is at work, and it's just my son and I at home, and I'm walking towards the front door. And to the left of the front door is a window. Um, I was actually walking to the kitchen, which was on the way to the front door. I happened to look towards the front door and there's a guy standing in the window staring at me. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. And I didn't, I didn't recognize the face. In fact, it's dark. He's got a bandana on his head, but he sees me. I see him. I'm like, there's no avoiding this at this point. So I go to the door and I open the door to see what this guy wants. Not really processing anything at the moment. Um, so I, I, I open the door and then 
there's two other guys standing on the other side of the door that I didn't see in the window. So there's three of these guys there. Oh, and shit. they asked me, they asked for me by name. They said, we're looking for Patrick Chester. And I said, just, I came up with this lie. Just thought that because I was, that's what I did. Practice. <laughs> actually yeah. helped me out at this point. In this instance, I said, you know what? Patrick's not here. I'm his brother. I'm more than happy to put you guys in touch with him. What's going on? Wow. And they had a brief description of me from what I would come to find out later was that client that threatened to send him over there. But yeah. they hadn't seen me physically before. And so they didn't really, uh, they bought the story and they left. And I would come to find out later that one of them had a gun on him at the time. Yeah. And I don't know if he was there to shoot me or just to scare me, but the fact of the matter is whatever was going to happen there um, was going to happen in front of my three-year-old son. And this is where, this is where gambling had, had, had taken me, you know, Um, not only am I in danger mentally, I'm a mess, but I'm now my, now my family is in danger. And that was, you know, I had, I had definitely, crossed over to the dark side at that point that yeah that's the one right there it's 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 always trying to buy more time when you're an addict and in that case right there what'd you do you just bought yourself a little bit more time you said you were your brother and patrick's not there it's always just buying more time and that shit gets old that shit will age you like 30 years in a couple days yeah you know it you know it well and and that's the thing with addiction is it's it's universal when it comes to that, right? We're just trying to buy ourselves another day. We're just trying to buy ourselves a little bit more time to, to get the pills, to get the heroin, to, to, to get some money to gamble with. And for me, um, my drug became money. And however I had to, it didn't matter. I just had to get money to gamble with. And um, since I was no longer able to work for myself anymore as a contractor, it became, it became a game of hustle for me. I, it was at that point, 2012, where I just started hustling from friends, um, family members, people that I knew, Hey, can I, can I borrow 10 grand? I I, I'm in a pinch. I'll get you back. And and some people still trusted me at that point and they would loan me money. Or, um, in some cases I would, um, steal things and sell it. Right. Um, Yeah. I stole, uh, I say stole. That wasn't my intention at the time. Again, I had convinced myself that I would I would make it right. But I I rented some some construction equipment in 2013. Actually, it was 2014. From a guy that I used to work with, and he didn't know about my issues or anything like that. And I rented an excavator, a mini excavator, and a and a skid steer. You know, these are big, heavy pieces of equipment worth over a hundred thousand dollars that he rented to me and knowing the entire time that I I was renting from him, I was going to sell this stuff, but I'm convincing myself that I'm going to take that money again, gamble with it, win that money back, go back and buy the equipment, return it. This cycle that I was in was ridiculous. And the, the, the long and the short of it is I took a, excavator and a skid steer that were valued at over a hundred thousand dollars and sold them to a guy for $16,000. Oh shit. Cash. And, (laughs) and in my, in my delusional state, I never thought for a second about, you know what, these things probably have serial numbers on them. 
And no, you don't care about that at that you moment. Don't care about that because you I just cared. You, all I cared about was getting cash. I wanted hard cash because I was going to yep. gamble and I was going to win. You're going to make it back. You're going to make, make it back. back. And then what no, I'm going to do. Buy him another one when you win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> a new one. And so what I didn't know, um, <laughs> one of the many things I didn't think of or didn't know was that the guy that I sold that equipment to had a neighbor who was a sheriff. Oh, and he boy. came over one day and they happened to be talking. Um, and the guy told him what he paid for this equipment. The sheriff looked at him like, that's, that's weird. You got a pretty good deal on that. And so he did a little research and found out where these um, pieces of equipment came from. And sure enough, I got a call from a sheriff about three days later asking me what was going oh, on. <laughs> oh yeah. So I want to ask you, did you, so when that, those people came to your doorstep with the pistol, that didn't, that didn't shake you at all, huh? I was too far gone at that point. You know, I've had that. Yeah. You know, I've been asked that question before. Do you think that may have um, I, I jarred something loose in my brain or, or snapped me out of it? But I was too far gone. I was, I was over. It might have even pushed time. you the other way. Like even these guys can't get me. I'm too good. Like my lies are too clever. I'm too like, you're never going to catch me. I think at that point I was so scared and I just knew that I could, there was no way to come clean at that point. Um, had I come clean years before, it would have been different. But in my mind, um, I didn't want to lose my family, right? I didn't want my wife to divorce me. And so I'm thinking if I come clean now and just lay it all on the, lay all the cards out on the table, she'll just walk away and I'll never see my son again and I'll never have a marriage again. And so I, I just, I had to keep gambling at that point because I, that was my, that had become my solution in my delusional thinking. The only way I was going to get out of the mess I was in was to gamble more. It, yes. Um, because there was no way I was going to make all that money working. I, in fact, I couldn't work anymore at that point. So I, the only way out was to gamble more. And, uh, you know, as we get into uh, 2014 was, was, right towards the, the beginning of the end, basically, where I no longer was able to work for myself. Um, and I started kiting checks. And I, I don't know if you're, if you're not familiar with check kiting, it's when you have multiple bank accounts and you're writing one check to another bank account and then a check from that bank, basically A, B, and C bank accounts. And you're, and you're writing checks back and forth, knowing that the money isn't in that account to cover that check, but because you get the money, it takes a couple of days for it to clear. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But if you go to the bank and deposit it and the check po and the bank posts that right away and makes that money right. available, boom, I would go yeah. pull that cash out. And that's yeah. what I started doing. And that was in 2014. And I was able to, to play that game for a little while before my banks um, shut, closed all my accounts and, in fact, I got a call from one of my bank managers one, one Monday morning and she said, what's, what's going on? I said, what do you mean? Well, it looks like there's, um, looks like you're kiting checks. And I didn't even know what that term meant. I, I'm like, what are you talking about? What does that mean? Um, well, are you writing checks from, from your business account to your personal account and back and forth? And, and I'm like, yeah, but there's money there. And she's like, no, there's not money in there. I've talked to the other bank. There's no money there. And she asked me to come into the branch the next day. And I did, I pulled up and I'm going to the, to the bank. And as I'm pulling in the parking lot, I see two police cars sitting in the parking lot. And I just kept on going. 
real quick, why did you decide to go into the bank? Just because she told you to? Like you you probably knew what was going to happen or did you not? In my mind, I could always talk my way out of whatever mess I was in. Okay. And so that was my mentality. I'm like, okay, I want to deal with this. I want to talk to her. I want to talk gotcha. my way out of this. You know, okay. and maybe and maybe convince her that it was an honest mistake. Sure. Yep. You know, that was my mentality with everything. I can talk that was the my way you out were of doing. It. Yeah. But when I pulled into the parking lot and saw two police cars sit in the parking lot, I knew better. And so I just I just kept going. You know, Those I just, dummy cops, they should have been hiding better. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. We should have waited until I pulled in. But you know, that's so that's where that's where I was in, you know, in 2014. And um it was those were dark days and scary times. And I was um at the point where you know, I was contemplating suicide. Yeah, I mean, you have to feel like you're drowning when you're in all this debt and you're not able to work. You have kids. I mean, or you have a child at that time. And you know, like if you put all of your cards on the table, like it's going to end up in a divorce. I mean, you're a very strong person, man, for not taking your life. A lot of people take their lives when they're in those situations. Like they do not see a way out. There is no way out. The only way out is by like everyone's life will be better if I'm gone. That's kind of where you end up. Right. So I, man, you hit it. You just hit, you just hit it on the head. That's exactly, that's exactly what it is. You cannot see the light when you're, when you're, when you're, I mean, you know, this, when you're, when you're in the depths, when you're in the darkness like that, you mm -hmm. can't see a way out. And I had convinced myself that my wife and my son, sure, if I ended my life, they would be bummed out, but my thinking was, you know what, they'll get over it and they'll be better off in the long run. Yeah. And so I had reached a point where I was trying to starting to, to, to plan it and figure out ways to do it, you know, but I was, I was trying to figure out, and the only, the only issue was I was trying to figure out my life insurance policy and exactly. how all that worked and, and, and whether, the, whether or not there was a suicide clause in that life insurance policy. And, you know, so I was, I was trying to, I was, probably, you know, three or four months away from doing it because I had a lot of things to get to figure out. I didn't want to do it and then not have my wife and son taken care of financially. Yeah. That's such a crazy way of living, man. It's such a crazy way of living. How often do you think back on it? Just like, because it's, it's actually like uh, an alternate universe. If you think about it, right? Like that, that's not who you are today. Who the fuck was that guy? Right. I mean, right. I, it's so bizarre. It's, it's, well, I, it's, I'll just give you a, yeah. I mean, I, I eventually went off to treatment in 2000, early 2015, which we can get into in a minute, maybe. But when I entered a treatment facility, I was, they did a full on mental assessment of me. Sure. Um, and I wasn't, I had gone insane. I was, I was legally insane. Um, Diagnosed. I was, I was living in an alternate universe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Man. and, and I do, you asked, I mean, how often I think back to those times. And I, I mean, I, I talk about, you know, I speak at college campuses around the country. I speak with student athletes primarily about the dangers of sports betting. And so I do, I talk about it a lot, you know, because that's part of um, what I do is I'm trying to educate younger people on the dangers of gambling. And so part of that yeah. is me telling my story. So I don't, and that's, that's good for me. Like the way I look at it is it keeps me engaged with my recovery. The most, 
the most selfish thing I can do today is to try and help somebody. Right. That's how I look at it because it, I'm trying to help people, mm-hmm. but at the same time, by talking about it, it, it keeps me engaged. I know ne- I never wanted to be one of these people that, that got past my addiction and just said, you know what? I'm better. I'm over it. That was the past. I'm done. I always want to remember man. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a huge benefit to that. I mean, you just from talking to you, I, I just met you today for all the listeners out there, me and you are meeting for the first time today and you yeah. seem like a really down to earth human being. I mean, it's, it's pretty astounding that what you've been through and you were able to like get back to homeostasis, you know, and, and stabilize and actually have another kid and do it right. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, Jay, you know what it is. It's, it's, it's one addict talking to another, like you, you can't, those of us that have gone through addiction and those of us that know have family members or friends and, and nobody in this world will go through life and not have a family member, not be touched by addiction in one way or another. Right. And yeah. so you and I have both experienced that and, and it's, it, it consumes you and all that's all that, um, you hold dear in life are, is put to the side so that you can prioritize your addiction. And that's what I did. And that's what we do as addicts. And, you know, it's, again, it's something that's, that's, I never want to lose sight of. I never want to get over my skis and think, well, I've got this. I always want to remember the dark days as hard as it is. And it's not easy. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be easy because if it was easy, then you would just fall right back into that loop again. It should be the hardest thing ever. It should be hell. We don't right. ever want to go back there ever. And what, right. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. And what I, what I, what I try and do is I try and help people to, and I don't lecture people. I, that's not what I do. I just, I share my story and I try and help people understand what addiction is. And it's not, mine was gambling addiction, but um, I've met plenty of um, heroin addicts and, and all it doesn't addiction is addiction. And a lot of people on the outside that haven't experienced it yet, just view it as a choice. Um, you know, well, you're just making a bad choice and you're just a bad person because you're committing crimes. Now, why don't you just stop doing it? And so <laughs> that goes to the stigma, you know, that comes with addiction. People that haven't experienced it don't understand it. And, so that's part of why I do what I do now is I just want to help people understand what this is. Yeah. You're a wonderful resource. And that's why I enjoy talking to people that are going through it as well, because I can relate. I'm so empathetic to these people because I lived it. I understand. Like I actually know the mental space that you are in right now. Right. It's horrid. And people will just wave that off sometimes like, Oh, he's addicted to heroin. What a junkie. Just stop. Why don't you just stop and get a job? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's that simple. If it was that simple, I would. <laughs> you know, like the, people are, it seems like they just disassociate like human beings when they see them doing drugs. Like a disconnect is there. Like, ah, whatever. Yeah, and that's so true. And I, I, I'm going to just on that, on that vein there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a quick story here with you. Please. When I was, um, I eventually went to jail in 2015. That was part of my, um, I would, I was um, charged with two counts of first degree theft for money that I had taken from clients and um, ended up 
going to jail in 2015 after I got out of treatment. But one, there was a, there was a, there was a guy um, who was in the bunk next to me in jail for about the first two months of my stay there. And he was a heroin addict and he was probably five years younger than me. And we had conversations every night. We would sit down on our bunks every night and drink cold coffee and talk about our kids and our family and whatever. And I would share my story with him and he would share his story. And I I learned that he and his wife were both heroin addicts, had been living on the streets for two years and had two little kids that they hadn't seen in over two years. And he looked at me every night and he said, all I want to do is get clean, but I don't know how to do it. I've burned too many bridges. All my, all my friends are gone. My family members don't trust me anymore. I just want to get clean and I want to get help. Yeah. And so I tried to help him as best I could in jail. Um, but what, what I would come to find out two years later was that he was able to get it, get himself into treatment, get his kids back and get an apartment for he and his family to live in. And he called me one day and he said, you know what? I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for, for talking to me and, and, and giving me some hope because I didn't have any hope at that time. How and gratifying. So, gratifying for sure. But it's, it goes to it, back to, it goes to your point of, of, of somebody looking at a, um, a heroin junkie, a heroin addict yeah. living on the streets and just dismissing them as if they're um, garbage. Right. And, and not worth anything. Well, you don't know that person's story. You don't know that that person has two little kids that are missing their, their, their mom and dad and their mom and dad are both heroin addicts and living on the streets, but they Correct. do want help, Correct. but they just don't know how to, they don't have any resources. They don't know where to turn. And so, you know, it's, my experience has changed my outlook on everything. And, yeah. you know, it's just, um, addiction is, is, <laughs> it sucks. When you look at everything at face value, yeah, you don't know the story. You have to know someone, the ins and outs before you can make an assessment. You know, like if you just look at a homeless guy face value, like, do you think that he was born there? And that's like where he chooses to live? Like, what's what's really the thought process going on? No, there is a whole story behind that person. Like, that's one of the things I want to do. I actually want to bring some homeless people onto the podcast and just hear their story because oh man you know there's like yeah, what you should do that. Uh, yeah i think i'm going to i mean the, the stories and like what we can learn from them i just hate that people just walk by them and like <clears throat> oh, whatever well it's it, it's it's yeah i mean unfortunately it's it's human nature it's could be anybody it could be me it could right. be you. i mean it could have been we can look at the we can look at the guy or the gal on the on the street corner holding up a sign and asking for money and and sure some of them you know um maybe have had 15 or 20 chances to turn their life around and they've and they've screwed it up every single time but the way i look at it is is sometimes it just it, it takes one more chance right one more one more friend one more family member to reach out and say hey look what can we do if you really want to get clean or you really want to turn your life around? Let's do this. There are compassionate, caring people in this world, you know, and it's just, we don't know what these people have gone through and I'm not making excuses for anybody. I'm just saying, when we look at somebody who's a drug addict to just dismiss them as if they're nothing, um, 
is not is yeah. it's not right because you don't know. Fr- go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you go ahead. The common phrase that you hear is pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And it's like, you can't say that to everybody because everybody doesn't start at the starting line at the same exact place. Like what if there's people that are homeless right now who their mom and dad were maybe not present or heroin junkies or, you know, live in some kind of ghetto area. Like everyone doesn't start off with a perfect home with a mom, a dad, an education, a job. Like that's not how everyone starts off. So you just have to be more empathetic, man. That's just like my, my key takeaway is you have to be more empathetic because we don't know the entire story. We're just seeing things at face value. That's a great point. Um, one thing I learned in jail, I was I was surrounded with people that unfortunately had were resigned to their fate in life. They had spent years in and out of jail, not because they they chose to to live that way. Yeah, they were born into that life, and that's all they knew as kids yeah. growing up. And I didn't. I, I I had I had preconceived notions about about people in jail and all this you know, different people people that come from different walks of life. And what I came to find out in that place is, you know what? These people didn't have a fair, didn't get a fair shake. They were no, they were they born into a life that from the time they were able to walk, yeah. they were destined to be to to be in this place. Some and areas I, you can't get a job. Like you have to sell drugs to make money. You have yep. to. You know what do you think's going to happen? They're going to get caught and arrested and put in the system, and then it's repeat and recycle. It's it's all they know. It's all and, they know. And and it's it's sad. I mean, and I saw this, you know, firsthand in that in that place. And I, you know, to this day, I I I I I'm I feel fortunate. One that I have a family, but I had people that stuck behind me. I had I had people that didn't give up on me through all of that, right? Yeah. And 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 not everybody has that. And I and I'm I I I, I never lose sight of that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And the issues that we were just talking about, about the people that are born into it, that's a, that's a systemic issue that has been going on for way too long. And it bothers me at the very beginning of this podcast, you had brought up education. Like the schools don't talk about mental health. I I feel like schooling could do a much better job in educating and there's some courses that I mean, I, I don't mean to to make fun of or bring any offense to this, but like home economics, I mean, there's plenty of other th- I'm sorry for all the home ec- economic teachers out there, it's, but like there's some serious shit. Like people don't know how to balance their, their credit cards or like their checkbooks. You know what I mean? People don't know how to invest. It's a real problem. <laughs> and instead you have, like things like that in school. It just, it, it bothers me. It, no, I, 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 I agree with that. You know, I mean, wood shop and, and home Mac are great. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I made a, I made a cutting board in high school. I thought that was really cool. I took it home to my mom and wood shop. Right. <laughs> but, right. but we're in a different, we're in a different um, place in the world now. And, and we need to, we need to, like we talked about early on, mental health should be priority. Number one. You know, 
with, with mm-hmm. our kids, especially what they're dealing with now, you know, and, and, and all of these with social media and, and everything else that they have to deal with now, they're not prepared to handle all that. Absolutely you know, not. No way. We're not, we, we don't have anything, any mechanisms, any education, any programs in place for, to help them deal with that. There's, there's nothing there. We it's just like a giant science experiment right now. That's exactly what it is. And and speaking, you know, from from a from a sports gambling perspective, we're legalizing sports betting in in, in over I think it's thirty three states now, and we're throwing this at all of our all of our young people, and just expecting that they're going to know how to handle this. And that's a good point. It's it's like you know what what are what are we doing? <laughs> You know, we have, that's just, I, I think that's how we do it in this country. We just, we, we, we dive in head first and just figure it out, try and figure out how to, how to manage these things. And instead of putting um, education and programs in place to, to help people manage it. And it's scary. What are the type of things you do to mitigate your kids from getting into this or to like, make sure they don't fall into what you fell into? Well, for, fortunately, you know, I have my experience to draw from, right? And so yeah. my youngest son is my youngest son is only five. He's too young to, to, to grasp any of this. But, sure, you know, our oldest son is old enough now to where earlier this year, actually last year, we actually sat down with him and had a conversation with him about uh, what I did, what I went through. What this happened. was the first time. Really, it was the first time. Yeah, we wanted to wait until he was, until he was old enough to really, you know, sort of, kind of get it, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's still, you know, he's still hesitant to ask deep questions, but he will at some point. But we wanted to try and get ahead of it, right? And so, from my experience, through my experience, I, I, I think we have a better handle on on addiction for one, uh, mental health. And we're not afraid to talk about that with our kids, especially Wonderful. our oldest right now. We're just, we're not afraid to talk about it. This is important, you know? And so, you know, in many respects, it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad that I went through what I went through because I don't know that I would be the parent that I am today had I not gone through that. It's funny, man. I agree with you there. I agree with you. Right? Like, like all the shit that we went through, I, I, like, I feel like this made me a, a more strong understanding parent. Totally. Yeah. You wouldn't have, right, Jay, you wouldn't have that perspective. You wouldn't have that experience to draw from. And there's no substitute for experience in this world. I mean, you can, you can, you can have all the education you want. You can go to school for as long as you want, but there is no substitute for actually living it. And the lived experience is, um, there's no, again, there's, there's nothing that compares to that. It's funny you you bring that up. I was kind of a, a knucklehead in school, and um, <laughs> so with teachers, when this was in college, when teachers would try to, uh, it, it was almost like a dictatorship to me when they would try to talk down on me, like they know all, they're the almighty. But this person is basically a career student. They never left the system. They went to high school as for themselves. They went to college for themselves. And now they're teaching college. They don't have any real world experience, you know, in business yeah. or whatever the, whatever the case is. 
And to me, I just found that funny. I like professors that were like, I don't know, a CEO or like had boots on the ground within an organization. If you're going to be talking about sales, not just reading books, I can read the books. Right. You know, totally. Yeah. That's just how I was in school. I was kind of a dick. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's, it's, what you're saying is, is, is true though. You know, when I, when I'm speaking in front of a 105 member football team, you know, um, yeah. and I, and I'm sharing my experience, I'm not speaking to them as, as a, as a medical professional who's studied the effects of gambling and providing a 45 minute lecture to them. Correct. You know, yes. I, I'm, t- I'm telling them, I'm giving them the truth. Um, yeah. Uh, from somebody who's, who's, who's lived it. I didn't just I, study it. I lived it. And there's yeah, a, when big I, was a student, I like people like you, like what you are saying is resonating with me because you were there, you were, you were at ground zero. So keep talking, Patrick. Right. <laughs> and that's what it does. It resonates. You don't, you know, you're telling your personal story and that, that trumps anything else. Like we can all read books and that's great. And we can all study and we can all research statistics and, do all of the all of the put everything together and provide a nice uh, forty five minute keynote, but mm-hmm. or you could stand up and you can tell your story and you can tell them what's real. And this is what happens when you cross over to the dark side. And these are the things to watch out for, you know. And so that's what it is. Yeah. Did you have any relatives or friends that you saw go down the the path that you went down, or was it just you? you know, when it came to gambling, it was just me. You know, I did, I did grow up, you know, like many, like many kids do, I did grow up in a, a dysfunctional family. Right. I had a, I had a, a, a father who was a raging alcoholic and a gambler. He wasn't a raging gambler, but he was a raging alcoholic. So that's part of it too. You know, some of us are, are more prone or susceptible to addiction if it runs in our family. And so with me, it was my father as an alcoholic. And so I grew up around that. Um, but no, I didn't have anybody that, that went to the dark side of gambling like I did, you know, but certainly we have, a, you know, addictive tendencies in my family. And I sort of took it to the, uh, <laughs> to the extreme. For sure. Yeah. What do you think the benefit was like back in the stone age or like our great, great, great ancestors? Like, obviously it's a part of us. It lives in us. So it came from somewhere. So I, before I talked to you, I was trying to think like what benefit could that have brought in the stone age? Like a great ancestors. Why is that a part of being a human being addiction? Well, it's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I guess now we're, we're, we're at least me growing up. We, had so many more opportunities, so many more things to, to fall into. Right. I mean, we had, you know, we had gambling, we had, we have drugs, we have all these other things. And, and, you know, I don't know, maybe way back in the olden times, they didn't have all the, uh, you know, have access to everything that we do, we do now. I don't know. That's the a good question. Maybe, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, could be. It's interesting. You know, and maybe it's just a, a faulty, faulty thing in our brains. Well, there, that's there's so many things happening that we just can't catch up to, right? I mean, and it's like 
that's why I'm, I'm with our younger generation, the kids now, the, the grade school, high school, college kids, it's, it's frightening to think so where worried. they're going to be at in 10 to 15 to 20 years. I mean, it's, 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 it's actually, it, it's scary. Because Have you ever given your kid an iPad? Like they, when they were young, you're a five-year-old, you ever given an, an iPad and just look and how like yep. addicted it looks like right away, like they're mind controlled, like right off the bat, you give it to them and they're just sucked in. And it's a constant battle, right? You know this. You have a five-year-old. I have a five-year-old. <laughs> yes. it's, it's, you know, he has his little his little tablet and, you know, I'm working from home yeah. and I'm trying to get work done. I'm like, okay, well, here, grab your tablet for 20 minutes while I hop on a Zoom call or what, you know. And so, exactly. you know, as parents, we're trying to, a lot of us work from home now and, and we're trying to manage it in, with kids and it's a battle. I mean, it's a, it's a constant battle to, to try and keep them engaged with, with real conversations and real life and not let them get, not allow them to get sucked into the the screen for 15 hours a day. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. Like when you were growing up, it was just, you went outside and you know, probably when the streetlights came on, it was time for you to go home. There was so much trust. And is it because that there's, social media everywhere that we're seeing all this bad news so it seems like the world's more chaotic or has it always been chaotic and now people are more nervous to let their kids out that's a really good question um i had i've never i haven't thought about that you know what i think with i think in many respects it's probably no different than when we were kids we just didn't see it right that's Um, kind of where my mind is at you know i mean when we were kids I went to, not to get too off track here, too 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 out of too too far out of bounds. But I grew up in a in a. I went to Catholic school for eight years in grade school, and then four more years in high school. I went to spent twelve years in the Catholic school system, right? Yeah. Thinking that, and I'm I'm not going to get too far down the road here, but thinking that, thinking that Catholic priests are like the the, the greatest people in the world. All right, <laughs> right. Um, well. I think we've all come to find out that that's not necessarily the case. Right. But that's been going on. That's been go- So that that's been going on for thousands of years, thousands of years, hundreds of years, you know? And yeah, I think thousands, so I think, yeah, I think that's a good question because a lot of this probably was going on. We just didn't see it. That's what I, I'd have to imagine that because I, I actually think that we kind of live in a, probably a much more safer era right now we have so much tracking and con- like you everyone has a phone on them you can contact anyone in the snap of a finger you know so yeah totally and it's just like you said i mean we just that doesn't mean it wasn't happening 40 years ago we just didn't see it there were a lot of uh serial killers back then like i'm reading this book oh. um it's called it's called chaos and it's about the uh charles manson murder you know this is a wonderful book, man. It's about um, MK Ultra and how they, how not they think, but they kind of are leaning into that um, Manson was being in contact with the CIA and they were drugging him up and trying to tell him what to do. There's multiple visits by CIA members that go into his jail cell and then release him. And then he goes out and has his gang murder a bunch of people. It's super interesting. Yeah, that's didn't he? He died a few years ago, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. um, 
Yeah. I mean, speaking of serial killers, we had, I mean, Ted Bundy. That's what I mean. Um, yeah. There's like some big names, like serial killers, serial, serial killers. Well, but, out yeah. here we had, we had the green river, green river killer who was um, in the Seattle area or the Washington, Western Washington area for when, when was that? This would have started in the seventies and went into the eighties. So I think seventies and eighties, they finally caught him in yeah. the nineties. Um, he killed about 45 women. And then of course, Ted Bundy started out here, you know, um, and then he moved on to Florida, I think. But, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, those. It seems like it was just as dangerous. I mean, it's always been around. So yeah, I was yeah, just. I'm, I'm, yeah, so yeah I mean the, 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 yeah, the crime and and you know the sick people of this world. They, they didn't just um, appear <laughs> right. in the last twenty years. You know, I mean, they've been here forever. And so, yeah, it's really just. I think. Again, that was, I think that was a really good question you asked because a lot of things we see now just because we can and we didn't, they were, it's not that they weren't going on before, we just didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. Constant. So, Patrick, tell me what's, uh, what's in store for the future for you, man? Where do you see your life going? What are you doing present day and what does the future look like? Yeah. So, right now, um, I work for a company called Epic Risk Management and they're based in the UK. And are just now branching out to the U.S. and and I love what I do because awesome. They what we do is we we reach out to um the various colleges around the country and we get in front of the student athletes, like I said earlier, and we talk to them about the dangers of of sports betting and how that affects them, and also talk to them about mental health and how that addiction and mental health, you know, um, are intertwined. And so that's what I do now. And I love it. You know, we just, um, we're just scratching the surface in this country as far as sports betting goes. And we're trying to get ahead of it and, and educate and raise awareness with the young people. And for me, it's about, you know, lived experience. That's what we do is we tell them, like I said earlier, we tell them what can happen because we lived it and we don't get in front of people and lecture them, but that's what I do. And it keeps me engaged with, with my recovery and it keeps me grounded. And I never get too far ahead of myself because I always, um, I'm constantly talking about my, my, my experience and my story. Yeah. You have a wonderful story. There's a lot of benefit to take and, I'm glad that you you're on the right path. You found your path, man. I, and as as messed up as this seems, like it almost seems like everything happens for a reason. I know it's so cliche, but look, you went through this sports gambling addiction and hit rock bottom, and now look what you're doing for your job. <laughs> I mean, and you love your job. You well, know? Jay, I mean, you 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 as well, you know. And and I, I commend you. Um, I, Thank you. Addiction is is horrible it's 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 no fun it it sucks the life out of you the addict it sucks the life out of your family and your friends and to overcome that um is is to me it's it's i don't know that i i say this a lot too in a way i I, i'm I'm almost glad that i went through what i went through because of where i am today and and the person that i am today because of what i went through you know and so 
I, I, I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, but right. at the same time, I'm grateful for where I am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, Patrick. Patrick, it was a pleasure talking to you, man. I mean, you, your life story, it's going to resonate for a lot of the listeners here and myself as well. So I appreciate it. How can people find you on social media or how can they contact you and look up your business? Yeah, sure. I appreciate it. So they can find me on, I'm on Twitter at, at, at Patrick Chester nine, the number nine. <clears throat> um, I have a website, patrickchester.com. And then, you know, they can find me, you know, through, um, I'm on LinkedIn and everything else with um, the company that I work for now, Epic Risk Management. And so they can find me any, any one of, uh, of those ways. And I tell that I say this a lot and I mean it, you know, if anybody's struggling with anything or, or they know somebody that's struggling with gambling addiction or addiction in general. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk to anybody anytime and, and I'm always willing to, to, to try and help. And I, I'm always willing to try and make a difference where I can. Yeah. Beautiful. Patrick Chester, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you and meeting you for the first time. And I know you're going to be in Chicago. So please give me a buzz uh, when you're in the area. We'll get some coffee sometime. Love to, Jay. Thanks again for having me on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. All the listeners out there, have a nice night. Love you.